now with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Hey, everybody out there. Good afternoon to one and all. And wherever you are in the world at this time, whenever you are listening to this program, welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, Reclaiming That Which Has Always Been in You. I am Dr. James Houck, and if, as always, you would like more information about me or to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit our website. It's www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. That's all one word there. So www.bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if you would like to be part of the show uh, live and eh, we're not in living color today, but over the radio, I invite you to call the toll free number 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. Well, I hope everybody had a splendid week since the last time that we talked. I know I certainly have. I just want to share with this uh, audience that, uh, you know, over the weekend, my wife and I became first-time grandparents. So we are certainly pleased, as I was sharing with our, our engineer, that the, uh, you know, my wife and I are on cloud nine plus, and it is so exciting. Uh, it is just, you know, we're just filled with joy, and uh, we've been ready to be grandparents for some time, and we just... Um, we're there now, and it's just, uh, like I said, just an exciting, exciting time that awaits us. So anyway, so if you're wondering why I'm so elated today, that is certainly the reason. Okay, we've been elevated to the category of grandparents. So we'll, uh, I'll keep you posted on how things unfold, you know, as they go on. But so far, so good. Well, anyway, um, reclaiming authenticity, you know, today um, and all these broadcasts always focus on the integration of spirituality and mental health. And I place this integration within the context of our relationships, uh, relationships with ourselves, others and God or the divine. It is certainly my great pleasure to be with you here today. And uh, for those of you new to the program, uh, to share a little bit about myself that I would like to say that I just have very strong beliefs that all of us come into this world already equipped and graced with everything we need in this life for in terms of the skills that we have or our giftedness, our talents, our strengths, our character traits, all the very, very best parts of ourselves. In fact, even more than that, exactly who we are. <clears throat> And yet sometimes we go along in life and uh, maybe we're just in the wrong place at the wrong time or for one reason or another, we may tend to hide our giftedness or we push our giftedness or our skills way down so that others cannot see it or, you know, exploit those things. Or maybe we don't even realize what has yet to be explored in us. What are those gifts? What are those talents and those skills and those strengths that just have been lying dormant, still lie dormant within us? And we've never been able to 
uh, I'll put it this way, never been able to ask the right kind of questions or where to begin looking. Because every time we we start looking, you know, it's it's typical of humanity for us to look without, you know, look outside of ourselves for those things that really, you know, we brought into this world. And, uh, you know, the last place, you know, to look is within. Because uh, we think, well, it has to be more complicated than that. We have to go on some journey. We have to go on some search in order to find what we think we are missing. And we end up, you know, just playing out the old Wizard of Oz movie again, that once we get to Oz or once we get to that place, you know, we're told that we didn't really need to make that journey because what we were looking for was within us all along. But still, you know, uh, making the outward journey um, still has its benefits, uh, bringing us to that realization that, you know, what we seek has been unfolding and it just needs to come up and come out. Okay, so, um, but at any rate, whenever we don't realize our giftedness or our skills are lying dormant or certain character traits are just lying dormant, we often end up going through our life functioning from a place of frustration or a place of woundedness or a place of, I don't know how to get beyond whatever, you know, uh, the problems that we run into time and time again. We keep making the same mistakes. We don't learn from our own past. And But once we realize our giftedness and our skills and our talents and personality traits, and we realize that we have tremendous, tremendous gifts lying within that helps us to be able to heal all those issues that have kept those gifts down for so long. Okay, and we no longer go through life functioning from that place of woundedness, but now we go through life in a place of from or I should say from healing, wholeness, and that uniqueness that everybody has. It's hacheatas. It's that uniqueness, it's that thisness. If your name is John, it's your Johnness. Or if your name is Mary, it's your Mary. And so on and so forth. Whatever your name is, it's your thisness. It's it's totally unique to you. Just like a thumbprint. Everybody has that uniqueness. Everybody has a thumbprint, but no two are alike. And you have that uniqueness. Okay. And echoing this uh, sentiment, one of my teachers, uh, Joseph Rael, beautiful painted arrow, in a recently published work entitled Becoming Medicine, Pathways of Initiation into Living Spirituality, he writes, the way you become a medicine person is you practice who you are because you're already medicine. No one gives it to you. You are already it. And what a gift to yourself and to the world whenever we realize, you know, we are already medicine for others, or we already have these gifts for others. And we just have to work out, you know, work on clearing out everything that gets in the way of that medicine, that uniqueness in terms of our unresolved emotional, psychological, spiritual, and physical woundedness, as I said. And there's so much more to us than what we have become so far. And this is exactly what Reclaiming Authenticity, this show, is all about. Helping you find the courage to reclaim that which has always been in you. 
Well, I'll be taking your calls in the second half of the show today, and I encourage you to call into the show. Uh, because I would like to get, you know, how you feel or your thoughts on today's subjects. The resiliency of the rose. The resiliency of the rose. Okay. So uh, sit back and um, enjoy the show. And, and if you are so led, please do call in. Always enjoy talking to listeners. Well, I want to begin, um, you know, this this show with one of my favorite stories. I have tons of them, but, you know, each one I always say, well, that's my favorite. Uh, but I want to begin with one of my favorite shows about this whole idea of the integration and process of spiritual growth and mental health. Okay. Well, once upon a time, a spiritual master was walking along with one of his students, and they were discussing spirituality. And this young student was troubled, because as many students are from time to time, he became impatient with what he perceived as his lack of spiritual progress. He just became very discontented. He just became very agitated and so forth. You see, in his mind, he believed he ought to be further along in his path for the truth and his search for the truth. Now, he studied hard and he did everything his teacher asked him to do, but he still felt as though he should be further along. Well, at one point in their walk, the master and a student came to a, a beautiful garden of roses, just just an explosion of color, reds and yellows and white and pink, and it was just very beautiful. And the master smiled as he pointed out the numerous colors and fragrances of the roses, each in their various stages of development. The student, however, didn't fully understand what the master's point was in this lesson, because Yes, as my, all my teachers tell me, every moment in our lives is a teachable moment for us. So anyway, the master saw that his student wasn't understanding this lesson. So he went over and he picked a rose that was just in the early stages of its bloom. Now, he handed the rose to his student and he asked him to open it. And the student looked very curiously at the rose and then back to his teacher, who was just, you know, a, a, a slight grin over his uh, face. Uh, but then he proceeded to use his two fingers to gently push open the rose. Well, to his surprise, the rose started to fall apart and didn't resemble any of the other beautiful roses in full bloom. In fact, when the student was done, Many petals had fallen to the ground, and the rose was ruined. But the master gently smiled as he took the rose back from his student. And he you know, very tenderly explained that you know, one cannot force roses to bloom, because they bloom in their own time. And someday, he too will bloom in God's time and God's grace. And even though roses are still in their buds and have yet to bloom, they're still roses because they are connected to their roots. They're anchored firmly in the ground, and they receive all their water and nourishment from the sun and the soil. Of course, when roses have opened and in their full bloom, 
that fragrance is enjoyed by all because they've reached a point of maturity. Well, the student finally understood the lesson and realized that basically his role then was to continue his faithful integration of his knowledge, his personal experiences, and his studies. And he was also to continue his search for his giftedness, or that hachayatos, his thisness, as well as to develop his own skills. But most importantly was him to stay anchored to his roots. In other words, to his faith and his spiritual foundation. And by trusting in God's grace and God's time, he too would blossom. You know, if we're honest with ourselves, um, how often do we get caught up in the, well, let's hurry up and bloom stage? And we forget all about the budding stage. But that's, you know, we're growing. And if we're faithful to integrating our spiritual practices and our experiences and, you know, along with our daily awareness of truth and God's grace, transformation is inevitable. Well, anybody out there a fan of the TV series Grey's Anatomy? It was on, you know, it, it's just a pretty cool show. And um, there's just a lot of powerful insights that come, um, you know, from uh, the main character, Meredith. And uh, there's actually, you have to go back and watch this. Uh, there's a, a great quote that she says. Uh, I believe it's in, back in season six, episode 12, whereby Meredith talks about her perspective as a surgeon in the healing process of her patients. And she says, in surgery, the healing process begins with a cut, an incision, the tearing of flesh. We have to damage the healthy flesh in order to expose the unhealthy. It feels cruel and against common sense, but it works. You risk exposure for the sake of healing, but when it's over, once the incision has been closed, you wait. And you wait and hope that your patient will continue healing. Well, as a mental health therapist, I also see this kind of impatience in clients who want to hurry up and get through counseling. You know, it's just, it's kind of interesting. Nobody really wants to talk about things that are disturbing. And I get that. I, I, I totally get that. You know, because after all, they just want to feel better. We just want to feel better. So let's hurry up and do that. And I completely understand this. And yet, many times, I have to reassure them that their psychological, emotional, and spiritual healing cannot be rushed, because their healing must be complete. And that's what's really going to make them feel better. And sometimes things will get worse before things get better. Sometimes they need to explore just a lot of horrific things in their life in order to find the healing that is also there. Whatever the situation is, that that kind of healing cannot be rushed because their healing must be complete. But still, some people believe that they're doing something wrong or they're not quite doing it the right way because they don't see the changes fast enough. And it's true, many of us just want to feel better and as quickly as possible, but truth be told, healing takes time. 
Forgiveness takes time. Integration takes time. And transformation takes time. In fact, many times a person's spiritual growth occurs as they're engaged in, uh, as I put it, an unlearning learning stage. And this is what I mean by that. People will need to unlearn assumptions about how the world or God should work for them. You know, if I do this and such, then God will do this. Or, you know, God will, God will do this if I, if, if I am just faithful enough. Okay? And we come to the world, or we go through life, I should say, with many assumptions about the how, how the world, you know, works or should work. And we lump God in with that as well. And also, you know, people will need to unlearn uh, other habits or other behaviors that have led them down very unhealthy mental, emotional, or spiritual paths. In other words, uh, reframing a lot of assumptions or just cognitive distortions of, well, if I see it this way, then it must be true. Or if something bad happens to me, that's just going to keep happening because, after all, I deserve it. Well, that's that kind of stinking thinking that needs to go. But it becomes very habitual at times because we just keep repeating it over and over again, and we don't realize how toxic that kind of thinking can become to us. So unlearning those kinds of habits or assumptions and those behaviors. And for some people, they're going to need to let go of the roles that they took on that have created certain dysfunctions in in their family. You know, and, and sometimes if there's an addiction in the family, you know, uh, different members of the family will take on different roles just in order to survive that. Okay, nothing wrong because, well, they survived it. However, you have to let that go. You're not the role in which you you played out. You are still who you are. And at you know what was the cost of having to, let's say, push down your giftedness in order to survive you know, the chaos in a family. And still, you know, others will need to unlearn uh, self-sabotaging behaviors. You know, based on relationship wounds that have been suffered in the past that have never been healed, but have been brought into other personal and professional relationships. So to unlearn, you know, I'm sabotaging myself here and, and relearning just healthier ways to, you know, perceive relationships and, and not to think of the old ways of, well, I've, it's always been this way for me. I can't imagine anything else. Well, we can. But again, it's this unlearning, learning process. And yet, all the while people are unlearning these and other unhealthy aspects, they're also going to need to relearn and reclaim those life-giving aspects of themselves. You know, hello, reclaiming authenticity. Uh, because if there's one thing I wish for you to take away from this program today, just this program, is that the more faithful we are to um, life-giving mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual integration, sooner or later, as I said before, life-giving transformation will occur. So in other words, the deeper the integration, the process that's involved, and so forth, the more life-giving transformation will occur. 
and not just a surface kind of transformation and like, wow, this is great, but you know, it's only going to last for a week or two. I'm, I'm talking life-giving transformation in which your life will never, ever be the same and that you are so transformed that you can't even imagine going back to the way things used to be or going back to the way you used to think. Okay, That kind of transformation. And you know, a key ingredient for any kind of spiritual integration is the element of hope, especially when it comes to making sense of our lives. There's a great quote by Thomas Merton out there, uh, who was a Trappist monk. He's no longer living, but um, just wrote wonderful books. Uh, the one that I have is A Seven-Story Mountain and others. Um, but anyway, Thomas Merton, he really captures the essence of hope that is needed along a spiritual journey. And this one just happens to be entitled Seize the Day. And he writes, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think I am following your will doesn't mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope that I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may not know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear because you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. And again, that comes from uh, the, his writing, Seize the Day, and that's by Thomas Merton. Just um, it's, a, it's a writing in which many people can identify with because, you know, even though we might have things planned out in our lives, sometimes we have no idea where this is going to lead. Uh, we just don't know. But having that reassurance and assurance that you know, the desire to be pleasing to God, the desire to be on this spiritual journey— pleases God. So, again, what Merton is saying here is that he doesn't need to see where his life will go, because that's not where his hope lies. But rather, his hope lies squarely in the relationship that he has with God in the universe. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And that is hope. I mean, I love that section. You know, there's a, a saying out there that uh, we can live about 30 days without food. And we can go about three weeks without water. We can go uh, about three minutes or so without oxygen. But we simply cannot live three seconds without hope. And yes, hope is that powerful. Hope is that transformative in us and through us. But the true lesson is that we need to examine what we place our hope in. Because, you know, if there's ever a group of people who exemplify hope on a daily practical basis, it's people who farm 
people who plant. I mean, think about it. Maybe this relates to your own, uh, you know, backyard garden. You know, people who plant or people who farm, they till the soil. They remove the rocks and other obstacles that would simply just get in the way of having a healthy crop. Then they plant the seed and cover it back up with soil. And, you know, all of this is done by faith in the hopes that with the water, the sun, nature's fertilizer, that seed will produce a wonderful crop or a beautiful flower. Everybody needs hope. It's just part of us. Something ingrained in us from birth, and this is actually how we see the world. But what we hope in and in what we hope for can either bring us misery or it brings us peace. Because you see, many people are taught that material things will bring happiness and contentment. And let's face it, nothing wrong with material things. We all need food. We all need clothing. We need shelter, security, achievements, goals, you know, and the list can go on and on and on. But I sit with a lot of people who, by all outward appearances, have it all together. But inside, they're miserable. And it's true, money doesn't necessarily buy you happiness, and it certainly doesn't quell some of the storms that rage within us. It might take the edge off for a little bit, but that's not where true happiness lies. Because again, the people have never bothered to search within. They have never bothered to ask the tough questions of themselves. Because Everything else is, well, let's go find this for happiness. And they always look outside of themselves. But when we start looking within, when we start asking tough questions of ourselves and we hold ourselves accountable and we, let's say, stay the course of uh, our faith and integration of spirituality and mental health and so forth, transformation is going to occur. (laughs) We have to let go. We have to let go of many, many things in terms of forgiveness and so forth. Which, okay, brings us back to the analogy of roses. Have you ever watched a rose bush during a storm? You know, we've had some pretty interesting, (laughs) at least where I live on the East Coast, pretty interesting, powerful storms. High winds, thunder, lightning, pounding rain from time to time. And we have a rose bush out in the back. And uh, just taking a look at that during a storm, you know, the branches are swaying back and forth by the wind. And the petals are being stripped away by the pounding rain and wind. And as the storm continues, it doesn't look like the rose bush is going to survive. Because after the storm has passed, it looks all pitiful and gnarly, you know. Petals are flying everywhere. They're all on the ground. It just—it it does. It just looks pitiful. But you know, beneath the surface, deep within the earth, the rose bush is alive and well because it is firmly anchored. It is firmly rooted, and life is continuing, even in the dead of winter when all the flowers and the fruit trees seem to die. There's still life going on underground. And in its timing, and by God's grace again, 
we see that the the shoots will come up again in the spring and will bud and blossom, bear its fruit and fragrance for everybody to enjoy. The life of any plant or flower is in its roots. The healthier the soil, the stronger the roots, the more life continues. Now, have you ever tried to tear out the roots of a rose bush? All I have to say is good luck with that one, because those roots go down about three feet, and they spread out to about three feet all around. And this is why they can weather the most severe forms of precipitation. And they will come back year after year because they have strong roots. The same is true with us. We can be pounded by life and we can go through life storms and so forth. But if we have that strong root, if we are connected, you know, deeply, deeply connected in our relationships with ourselves and others, with God and the divine, we too will come back because we have strong roots. Well, I really love to hear your your heart and your thoughts on this matter. So again, if you'd like to call in, the number is 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. I'll be back with you in one minute. Welcome back. I'm Dr. James Hauk, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, I invite you that, uh, you know, you may or may not be able to spend the whole hour with me today, but again, these shows are podcasted, so all you need to do, uh, anytime, you know, at your leisure, just go on to the website, www.bbsradio.com forward slash Reclaiming Authenticity, and just click on the archives, and you can go back in and you can listen to any show that you may have missed, or you just need to catch up, or even if you want to listen to this show again, you know, you're able to do that. So uh, I'm very pleased when that happens. And, and again, feel free to leave me your comments about today's show or other shows that you have listened to. Again, just by visiting that website, and then you'll see the uh, link to uh, leave me uh, an email message. Okay. Well, I started off the, the broadcast today with a story about how a young student uh, on the path to spiritual enlightenment tried to force open a budding rose. He tried to force it open to bloom, much in the same way that he wanted to hurry up and force his own spiritual growth. 
And how often, you know, do we want to be in a hurry or we're in this like hurry up society because we believe we're not growing fast enough in our faith or our spirituality or whatever. But it's not about how fast we grow, but rather how strong our roots are. Because when we have strong spiritual roots and are faithful to this process of integration of, of truth and our own experiences and knowledge and so forth, transformation and growth will occur. Even in the budding stage, we're still growing. And if we're faithful to integrating our spiritual practices and experiences along with our daily awareness of truth and God's grace, transformation, I guarantee you, is inevitable. It's going to take place. And I also see this in mental health, that whenever a person suffers from a traumatic incident or a tremendous loss of some kind, they often sit and wonder, you know, How am I going to be able to put these pieces of my life back together again? How do I start? Where do I start? Now what's my life going to look like? And will I ever feel alive once again? Now, whenever I hear this, I don't get down on one knee and sing a verse from Little Orphan Annie. You know, the sun will come out tomorrow. Now, I just sit with the person. And we join in this humanity, this struggle to make sense out of losses, that shared human experience of, if this happened to me, will I ever be able to put pieces of my life back together again? How do I start? Where would I start? What's my life going to look like? And will I ever feel alive again? These are questions that all, you know, all humans, all humanity have to answer. Because we don't get out of this world without experiencing loss or disappointment or suffering to one degree or another. I'm not pessimistic. It's just because we're human, sooner or later we're going to suffer. But because we're also human, sooner or later we have great potential to learn. We have great potential to heal. We have great potential then to be stronger than ever before, or shall I say stronger in between the cracks of a brokenness, which left us looking at pieces and wondering how do these all fit? Well, again, physical, psychological, and emotional and spiritual healing is not a pie-in-the-sky, Pollyanna way of looking at life. But instead, it's a promise that following every storm in our lives, the sun does come out again. Healing will occur at, you know, to one degree or another. And we're going to find our life and strength because our spiritual roots are anchored you know, to relationships that are eternal, not temporal. Well, even though we are still in the midst of summer, and um, eh, I'd say a few people get married in, in August. Summer is often the time when many couples want to get married, especially in the month of June. And uh, love is certainly in the air. And, you know, the most requested scripture reading in you know marriage ceremonies or commitment ceremonies is often taken from the book of 1 Corinthians 13, 
in the Bible. And, you know, it's, it's something well known, and, you know, perhaps you've, you've heard of it. You know, it says that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but love instead rejoices with the truth. Because love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will stop. And where there are tongues, they will be silenced. And where there is knowledge, that too will pass away. Uh, but for, because we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And perhaps this is why when it comes to expressing our love to that very special person in our lives, roses are the most appropriate flower. I prefer tiger lilies, but that's just me. That's for another show, okay? But this 13th chapter of Corinthians is often read at weddings uh, because it symbolizes a love that weathers life's most severe traumas and disappointments, death and tragedies. But it's also talking about a kind of love that's also going to be there when we celebrate births, weddings, graduations, major accomplishments, and ultimately, joy, 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 and so forth. And yet, how is it that love is the strongest of faith and hope? I mean, I talked earlier in the show about the strength of hope, how hope can certainly transform and so forth, you know, but faith and hope are indeed strong in our lives. But what is it about love? Or let's put it this way, maybe more importantly, what is it important, you know, what is it about God's unconditional love for us, that's the strongest. Perhaps the answer is that because unconditional love sees the potential for people to become far greater than who they see in themselves in the present moment. Let me say that again. Perhaps God's unconditional love is the strongest because unconditional love sees the potential for us to become far greater than who we see in ourselves in the present moment. Love sees the possibility of everyone to heal from these emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual wounds. Because it's true, love is patient and love is kind. Love seeks to honor others first, and the only records it, keep, it keeps is the life-giving moments in our lives. Because love celebrates with the truth, and love always protects, it always trusts and hopes and perseveres. Love is able to do this because it teaches us not to look at the temporary things in our lives, but instead focuses on the potential for hope, healing, grace, and this inner, inner joy. As uh, another one of my favorite writers puts it, the reason why God's love is unconditional is because it existed before any kind of rejection was possible. And that kind of unconditional love will still be there after all rejections have taken place. 
It is the first and everlasting love of God who is the father as well as the mother. It is the fountain of all human love. Because in the Gospels, Christ's whole life and message was to reveal this inexhaustible, unlimited, motherly and fatherly love of God, as well as to show us how to let that love guide every part of our lives. Yeah, it's true. Rose bushes and their roots are a great reminder of our own spiritual growth. And as with any example of vegetation, you know, once the seed is planted in the soil, the roots have to go down and anchor themselves firmly before any appearance of life appears above the ground. Because without a strong root system or foundation, the life of a rose bush is limited because storms will come and pull up the entire thing. And if any of you call, storm with storms with its rain and wind can lift entire trees. You know, to what and to whom we are spiritually rooted does make all the difference in the world. And as I've said many times in these broadcasts, that when it comes to integration of mental health and spirituality, it always comes back to relationships. And the irony of life is that we often experience our, our deepest psychological, emotional, physical, and spiritual woundedness by being in relationships. But in order for us to truly heal and grow from these wounds, we find healthier relationships. And it all begins with the relationship with ourselves. Who is staring back at us when we look in the mirror? How do we interact with others? As I talked about about a couple of weeks ago, uh, that because we are so connected with each other, in fact, to all things, that when we wound another person, we end up wounding ourselves. And when others wound us, it's as if they have wounded themselves. You know, this is a fact that we just simply cannot get around. Or in other words, as I explained to the kids, we all live in an echo. What we send out is going to bounce back to us, whether we call it karma, reaping what we sow, or whatever. It's just a fact. What we put out will come back to us. It's, it's the reason we are so connected with all things. And so if we come from a place of woundedness in our relationships, it's as if we are reinforcing those wounds within ourselves. But as we heal, as we find healthier relationships, and as we look at things that need to be healed in our lives squarely in the face and calling it for what it is, and working through and letting things go, or working through forgiveness, knowing that forgiveness, too, is a process, we're going to find that healing taking place, and we're going to be in healthier relationships with ourselves. You know, we're not going to have those uh, negative thoughts or you know, or, or uh, you know, the unrelenting uh, guilt that we help, you know, emotionally beat ourselves up or put ourselves down or something. But we're going to be in a healthy relationship with ourselves and others. And so because we're healthy with those around us, you know, our healing is reinforced. And theirs is too, you know, vice versa. Even if people we meet for, you know, the very first time, you know, it's that strong of a transformation that gives other people permission to heal 
and also to experience and embrace their own transformation. You know, this is all the more reason why we need to stay connected in healthy relationships with ourselves and others and God or the divine. And, you know, I was thinking about this um, the other day, just talking with a friend, and um, we kind of got on the subject of, you know, how Christ interacted with people. And I said, you know, um, in the gospel stories, we have a lot more stories about Christ interacting with people who we only hear about one time, and then they're they're gone. They have some encounter with Christ, they're either forgiven of their sins, or they confess, or whatever, or they're healed, and then they just go off, and we never hear from them again. And we know that their lives are never going to be the same, because that transformation in the moment was so powerful. And we just have tons of stories, more stories than anything else in, in the Gospels. You know, just individuals, like the man born blind, or the woman who, you know, came to draw water at the well in which Jesus was sitting down because he was thirsty, or the woman caught in adultery, or, you know, other other instances, other stories of people who just show up, have an interaction, and then they leave. We never hear from them again. And how many people fit that bill in our lives? How many people do we just randomly interact with? We don't know them from anybody else. But in a moment, when we're talking to them or helping them or they're talking to us and helping us, whatever it could be, there's a little transformation that takes place that we know when we come away from that relationship, that uh, one-time relationship, you know, something has happened in that moment where we're truly both are never going to be the same again because in a, in a very you know subtle way, it's changed our perspective. It's opened up our eyes. It opened up our hearts or we were truly, truly touched. I remember seeing a story on uh, social media of how a lady was uh, pumping her gas and a man just comes up at random and just hands her a tiny envelope that just says, you know, for you please read this. And she opens it up and uh, it was just a very kind note that says, you know, that she has all these wonderful gifts and, and this money is to bless her and make sure that at some point you pass it on to somebody else. And it was a hundred dollar bill. And um, she was just so touched by it. She didn't really know what to do. She was just really flabbergasted. And um, so what she did was she took that literally, you know, passing it on to somebody else in the future. And so she put the note back in at $100, and she walked over to a younger woman who was pumping her gas and handed the card to her, or the envelope, I should say, and then just simply walked away and, you know, got in her car and drove off. And the, you know, as the story goes, this younger woman who, you know, unbeknownst to anybody else, was really struggling financially. And she goes back in her, in her car, she sits down and she opens up this note and she reads it and she begins to cry. And she realizes that who knows how many times that note and that $100 changed hands, but it eventually came to her. And because of her need, she was definitely touched. She was transformed in that moment. You know, there's a story that goes hand in hand with 
the roots of the rose bush and the need for us to be firmly connected in our relationships and so forth. There was a story that also comes from the Gospels. It's a story of the vine and the branches that Jesus actually told to his disciples. And it's uh, found in God, uh, John's Gospel, I believe. And quite simply, just a very basic teaching. You know, Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, you know, that person is cast out as a branch and it withers. And then, you know, somebody gathers them and throws them into the fire and they're just, they're burned up. You know, it's, it's dead branches. And, but if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. You know, and by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, there's more to this story or this parable, because I only read a brief passage. But what I find interesting is that within, you know, the entire nine verses, this little word abide, or in some translations remain, appears eight times. And that, that's pretty significant. You know, that's something worth paying attention to. Remain in me, abide in my word, whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. And, you know, in just all practical purposes, what's being said here is that just as the branches cannot produce flowers or fruit unless it remains connected to the vine and its roots, so too do we need to remain connected to our spiritual roots. Even if you cannot make sense of what you see or heal or hear or feel, Above ground, so to speak, rest assured that there is life in you because your roots are firmly anchored in the soil. Never give up on the ability of God's grace to work in and through your life, even if you do not feel you're making enough spiritual progress to suit you. Remember the story of the master, his student, and the rose. By forcing ourselves to go faster, Without proper integration and through God's grace, we too will end up making a mess of things. But if you have strong spiritual roots that are anchored firmly in your relationship with God and the divine and others, you will see your wonderful hachetas, your wonderful thisness, your wonderful uniqueness emerge that will be a blessing and healing for all relationships. You come into this world already equipped and graced with everything you need for this life. And just because you cannot see your giftedness yet doesn't mean that it's not in you. And yet if you are not at peace with your spiritual progress, sink your roots deeper into your relationships. I mean, ask to, uh, ask to be seen or shown, I should say, your giftedness, your skills, your talents, your strengths, your character traits. Okay, and and realize you know the times in which you feel like you need to hide those those the, the very uniqueness about yourself that you feel that you need to hide that from others. What's happening in that moment? What is it that you are actually hiding? Is it you're hiding your giftedness, or are you hiding the pain that you once experienced that you don't want to feel again? The gifts and graces, the strengths, are beautiful things in our lives, but they're not just for us. They're meant to be shared, 
they're meant to be passed on. They're made, meant to be a blessing to everybody. Just like that one man that, that showed up with a little, you know, card and a hundred dollar bill. And uh, one woman was so touched that she decided to pass it on right then and there to a woman who truly, truly needed it. And just how many other times and how much transformation had taken place in many, many people that we're not aware of. And really, okay, we could say, yeah, it was $100, but, you know, transformation often comes through the simplest things in our lives that really do not cost any money or very little money. But it's the thoughtfulness. It's this shared humanity that we understand how life can be difficult at times. We understand that struggle. We understand the frustrations and so forth. But yet, we also understand the hope. We also understand there's peace. We also understand that there is unconditional love. And how do we, as medicine, live that out on a daily basis? To where not that, well, you know, what am I going to do in this situation? But we can actually become the medicine or the healing or the peace or the grace or whatever for another person. That's the power of transformation. That's the power of integration. Remain. Remain. I'm Dr. James Hauk, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Again, if uh, you'd like to leave me your comments about today's show, I just invite you to visit the website and uh, just leave a, a, you know, just click on the link, I should say, to the email address and just leave me a message. I'll be able to read that later or uh, a way to get back to you. Uh, I, I enjoy discussing these topics with people all the time. So, again, thank you for spending this hour with me. I invite you to be back with me next Friday at 3 p.m. for another topic and we can discuss and and uh, just uh, explore our um, integration of spirituality and our mental health even more. So, in the meantime, uh, take care, uh, behave yourselves out there, and uh, may you be blessed. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific Time on PBS Radio TV.